Well, good morning. Thank you so much for tuning in to Restoration Church online service. I am so excited to be able to worship with you in this way. My name is Kevin. I'm lead pastor here at Restoration Church. And I want to start out and just say happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. And to all you ladies who just have an influence on the people around you. Listen, you ladies are amazing. You're incredible. You are so vital to the success of the church by the influence you have. So ladies, thank you so much. You are loved and you are needed in the church and in the world around us. Thank you for what you do. I was thinking this week about how I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And I know some of you modern gamers, you love your Fortnite, you love your Minecraft, you love your modern warfare. But I think I grew up in the golden era of video games. In fact, I remember that Christmas many years ago when our parents bought us the original Nintendo for Christmas. And I remember there was almost a fight that Christmas morning amongst me and my siblings over who was going to play the Nintendo first. And what I remember is I remember the games that we played on the Nintendo. See, before there was Madden, there was Tecmo Bowl. And you had two buttons, and you could choose to be Bo Jackson, and you can zig and zag down the field to score a touchdown almost every time you got the ball. It was amazing. One of my other favorite games was a game called Paperboy. And you're riding a bike, and you're trying to throw newspapers to land them on the front, front doorstep. And oftentimes, you'd miss the front door and break someone's front window. That wasn't good, but it was a great game. But what is Nintendo known for? Nintendo is known for Super Mario. In fact, I remember when we first started playing Super Mario, my mom sat back and watched and said, well, why are you doing that? Why do you keep jumping and hitting your head on the ceiling? It would make more sense for you just to run straight and beat the level as fast as you can. But if you've ever played Super Mario, you know the secret that by jumping up and bumping your head on the ceiling or whatever was above you, it gave you access to a new power. Or you could become a larger Mario. In fact, you could become Super Mario. And while that may not make sense in the normal world, whenever Mario would jump up and bump whatever was ahead of him, he engaged in a new power source that gave him additional power. You see, I think there's this interesting correlation to prayer. Where in our society, we have this performance-based culture that's all based on what you do. And sometimes it feels like prayer is nothing more than bumping your head on a ceiling. We don't understand that there's a power that comes from that. In fact, when you think about the Christian world, you think about the church, where does our power come from? Again, we have this performance-based culture. And so oftentimes it feels like if we're going to accomplish our, accomplish our mission, which is to know Christ and make Christ known in our neighborhood, in our church, in our city, in our world. If we're going to accomplish this mission, we need to focus on tasks. We need to have a bunch of tasks that we need to accomplish. So we do things like outreach and we do training and we try and make these really good services. And in some sense, it gives us an ability to control whether we have success and the outcome of what happens. But the question is, does power and effectiveness for ministry, does it come from our busyness? Or where does that power and effectiveness come from? Is that busyness, is that an essential component of the church? Does that give us a power and effectiveness? You see, I think this is why sometimes prayer feels hard. Sometimes it feels like we're banging our head on a ceiling. Because when we are praying, it's almost like we don't have control of the outcome. When we pray, sometimes it's hard for us to see the tangible benefits. When we pray, it doesn't fit our culture's definition of where power and success comes from, which is hard work and just continuing to power through. So sometimes, it's like Mario, 
We feel like we're just banging our head on a ceiling. We don't see the result. But we need to understand that the true power and effectiveness in life and ministry, it comes through a devotion to prayer. In fact, there's a theologian by the name of Samuel Chadwick. And this is what he said. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from a prayerless study, from prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But Satan trembles when we pray. See, we started this series last week that we call Essential, where we can grieve in the season what feels like we've lost in the season of quarantine. But this series is a challenge to ourselves to consider what is essential for the church. What are the things we need to prioritize? What are the things we need to fight for that we need to hold on to versus what are the things that are good and helpful and not necessarily wrong, but aren't necessarily essential? The things that take our focus away on what is truly essential. So this morning, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Acts chapter 1. In this series, we are looking at the early church, looking at the foundations that they have that could help us to understand what is essential and what is most important even in our own church. And so this series, what I'm asking you to do is to join me in prayer. Join me in asking God to help us prioritize the right things in the church, to help us see the foundations that God intended for the church, and to help us love the church as God planted it so many years ago. And the key for this series comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 that Ben read for us earlier. Verse 42 says that the early church devoted themselves to teaching. That's what we covered last week. He says they devoted themselves to uh, the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And today we're going to see that they committed themselves to prayer in the early church, that they were a praying church. And this idea of them being devoted to prayer is a challenge for me to consider the way of prayer in my own life, the way of prayer in our church. So what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, and I want you to follow along as we see that the early church was completely devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 1 is so intriguing because Jesus gives the disciples some instructions in verse 4. He says, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the gift from the Father. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit that you've heard me speak about. Then he says in verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here, Jesus gives his disciples this amazing promise. The Holy Spirit is going to come, that they're going to be his witnesses. They're going to have this power that comes upon them. And what do the disciples do? Verse 12, it says that they return to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, which is a Sabbath day walk from the city. Again, if you remember the rules for the Sabbath for the Jews, they could only walk a certain distance, about 3,000 feet uh, on the Sabbath day. So this is a short journey they're talking about. And it says when they arrived in the upstairs room where they were staying, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with those who were with them, the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. See, here you have the disciples. They are waiting for this amazing promise, for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. They're not sitting there twiddling their thumbs. They're not having a Netflix binge. They are praying and still seeking the power of God. And I I love this verse. I love that it says that they join together constantly in prayer. 
The King James Version says that they continued in one accord. So they were in a four-door sedan, and they're praying together. And you see the unity of the early church. And this unity is not just because they're together in one room. Their unity is because they all were of one mind. They had a singular focus to pray and to seek God through prayer. That they were completely devoted to prayer. In fact, from this point forward in Acts chapter 1, you're going to see as the book continues, as the book of Acts continues, as the church unfolds, you're going to see that prayer was fundamental to everything that they, they did. That the strength and the power that they had came from a singular focus of praying and seeking after God. In fact, turn a few pages to uh, chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been arrested. Two of the disciples, they've been arrested, and they're brought before the religious rulers, the Sanhedrin. And, and while they're arrested, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, and they are strictly warned not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And after some further threats, it says that they were released by these religious rulers. And verse 23 says, after they're released, they went back to their own people. They went back to the church and told them what happened. And in response, what does the church do? Acts 4 verse 24 says the church lifted their voice together in prayer. And we see this prayer that they prayed in the following verses. And they begin this prayer by reminding themselves of who God is. They pray in verse 24 and say, Oh God, you who made the heavens and the earth, they are acknowledging, God, you are the creator. We are praying to the God, the creator. They say in verse 25, God, you who spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. You're saying, they're saying, God, you're the one who speaks. You're the God of revelation. You are revealing yourself to us. And then in verse 28, speaking about those who are against the things of God, they say, they did what your power and your will had predestined or set apart or decided that should happen. And they're acknowledging, hey, you are the God who is sovereign over all things. You are in control. And so they, they, they pray this prayer and they begin out by acknowledging that God is a creator, that God reveals himself to them through his word, that God is sovereign over the world. And after they do that, they make the request in verse 29. Verse 29 of Acts chapter 4 says, consider their threats. Now we would expect them to say, hey, consider their threats and God, we pray that you might help keep us safe. God, consider their threats and we pray that the bad guys would stop threatening us. God, we pray that Peter and John would be protected. God, we pray that you would prevent this from happening again. God, we pray that you would make life easier on us. But that's not what they prayed. Verse 29 says, God, consider their threats and grant us the ability to speak with boldness. That God, you would stretch out your hand, that you would heal and perform signs and wonders. I mean, truthfully, in the face of difficulty, how do you and I pray? See, they're not praying and saying, God, keep us safe. They're praying and saying, God, make us bold. God, use us. God, we pour out our lives for you. Would you do something amazing with us? See, they, have, they are convinced of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus said, whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses my life, who loses their life for my sake will save it. They were convinced of that. And so you have this principle the early church, they were a praying church. They were devoted to prayer. And they prayed together in unity. They had a unity in thought and word and deed and purpose as they prayed consistently. 
And now in Acts 4, we see them praying in light of who God is. They're not praying that God would keep them safe. They're praying that God would help them to pour out their lives for the kingdom of God and for his purposes. In fact, turn with me a few more pages to Acts chapter 12, a few pages to the right. Acts chapter 12, a great chapter. I encourage you to read that at home this week. Acts chapter 12, verse 2 says that the king of that time, King Herod, he executes James, who was one of the disciples. And you see that the threat against Christianity is really serious. And so verse 3, after James is executed, verse 3, Herod arrests Peter, who was essentially the leader of the early church. And he had the intention of persecuting Peter. And you look at this and you're like, man, the odds seem so stacked against the early church. What's going to happen? So verse 5 of Acts chapter 12 says that while Peter was kept in prison, what do you think the church did? It says earnest prayers for Peter were made to God by the church. I mean, here you've got Herod who is incredibly powerful. He could kill Peter at any moment and nobody would bat an eye. And the church, what do they choose to do? They choose to gather and pray. Now you and I would say, is that the best strategy? I mean, we would say there's better ideas for you to deal with Peter being in prison. Like you could, you could figure out a plan to invade the prison and do a jailbreak. You could get people into the government, into Herod's Senate, so they were in a position to control what happened in the jail. You could get the church to begin to write letters to picket outside of Herod's mansion to, to picket what was going wrong. Why does that become our response? I think it's because sometimes we do not really believe that prayer can change things. Again, our culture says that, that power and influence changes things. And I think that creeps into the church, that creeps into our lives as Christians, where we begin to strategize. How do we get power and influence? And when we focus on that, we miss out on where true power comes from. And so the church is praying. And what happens in verse 6? It says that Peter is sleeping. He's chained, he chains, he's chained between two, guard, two guards. And there's two guards at the door. There's no way that Peter's going to escape. And an angel shows up in verse 7 and says, Hey, Peter, get up. Let's go. Let's get out of here. And Peter follows the directions. He gets up and those chains fall off his hands and his, and his legs. And they go past the guards at the door. And the angel leads Peter into the city as a free man. And Peter goes, wow, wow, certainly God has rescued me. And that would be an understatement if that happened to you. Verse 12 says that Peter goes to the house of John Mark's mom. And the text says where many people were assembled at that moment and still praying. He said, do you ever wonder why we don't see the kind of power of God like that in our day and age? I don't think it's because God was only powerful back in the early church. I don't think it's because God's taking a break and he's not available to us today. I think we don't see power like that in our day and age because we think we're smart enough. Because we think we know where power and effectiveness comes from. We think it comes from our strategies and our wisdom and our busyness. We don't think that power comes from God, that power comes from a devotion to prayer. In fact, my encouragement to you this week you could take an hour and read through the book of Acts and you'll see on every page and every story that prayer is constant. They were a church that was devoted to prayer. They were a praying church. Honestly, as I started looking at this message and have this opportunity to preach on prayer, there's a little bit of a, of a check in my spirit. 
not because I don't believe in prayer, not because I don't pray myself, or not because I don't think it's important, but because we live in this culture that says power and effectiveness is tied to our strategy. It's tied to the tasks that we focus on. It's tied to us improving our systems and get better at what we do as a church. And so there's this pressure from our culture that has impacted the church where we feel like we have to be busy and have all this activity and have the right strategies and the right implementation for how to be effective, for how to have power and influence. This is why a series like this where we discuss what is essential is so vital for us. Because this text, this message is telling us that through a devotion to prayer is where we find the power from God. That when we're looking for God to work, when we're looking for God to keep his promise of saving people, when we're looking for God to make a difference in our families and in our communities, God doesn't do that as a result of our strength and our strategies. He does it as a result of our devotion to prayer, of our seeking his power continually in our life and in our church. I mean, honestly, as a Christian, how much of our life is spent trying to figure things out on our own? Figuring out our own wisdom, trying to figure out strategies to make our life better, ways to improve our marriage, ways to raise our kids, how we can overcome our struggles, and we're looking for strategies. The same thing happens in the church where there are experts who say, listen, here's the strategies you need to do to draw more people to the gospel. Here's how you get more people to come to church. Here's the strategies for how to train and find the right leaders to lead the ministries of the church. Here's how you deal with financial concerns. And while these things are good and valuable, and I'm convicted that these things take our time and our energy and our focus away from where true power comes from. This is, that's the prayer and that complete dependence upon God and his power and his influence. See, my fear is that we as Christians and as a church, that we'd be really effective at lots of good strategies without actually making a difference in the kingdom of God because we're trusting in our own wisdom and our own strategies and our own power and not trusting and relying on the power of God. It's not that we don't believe in prayer. We do, but prayer is kind of more like an add-on. Like you go to Red Robin for lunch, and you're like, hey, I'll order my Red, Royal, uh, my, my Red Robin Royal burger with the egg on top, and a side of pickles, and a side of french fries, and a Dr. Pepper. Oh yeah, and I guess I should probably add a side of ranch so I have something to dip my fries in. That's kind of like prayer. Prayer becomes our side of ranch, where we say, okay, here's what I'm gonna do, I'm going to take this strategy. I'm going to take this idea. This is what I'm going to do. Oh yeah, I probably should pray. And so I pray and say, God, God, here's what I'm going to do. God, would you bless it? God, would you bless it? See, that's not enough. We are confused about where power comes from. Power doesn't come from our own strategies and asking God to bless them. Power comes from this devotion to prayer, continually seeking his power and seeking his face. Why is why is prayer so hard for us? Why do we find ourselves unable to pray? I think for one reason, I think we like instant gratification. We like to be in control. And so when we pray, it takes the power and control out of our hands and puts it into God's hands. And that's hard. That's where faith comes in. That's where we have to learn how to trust in God. Honestly, he makes a better God than we do. 
And so we need to learn how to trust him with that. I think sometimes we don't pray because we don't quite know how to pray. If that's you, if you're saying, man, I just, I don't know if I'm praying right, let me, let me encourage you. Prayer is nothing more than just a conversation with God. In fact, I have found in my own life, sometimes prayer can be hard. I have what I have self-diagnosed myself as is ADD, where I just get really distracted. Where I start praying, my mind wanders a thousand different ways. So what I have found that I have to do is I have a prayer journal. I have a notebook that I write in, and I use this acronym, ACTS, ACTS, and this helps to inform how I pray. That acronym, A, stands for adoration. This is where I, I, I pray and I give praise and honor to God for who He is, that He is Lord over all. Kind of like that, that early church in Acts chapter 4, God, this is who you are, and I'm going to pray in light of that. That's adoration, A. C stands for confession. This is where we deal with the sin in our life. See, so often what happens is sin will continue to reign in our lives until we are able to name it and acknowledge it and confess it. Sin will continue to rule until we finally are willing to confess our sin. T stands for thanksgiving. This is where we verbalize to God what we're thankful for in our life, what we're thankful for in our world. And finally, we get to S. This is a supplication. This is where we make our request of God, where we pray for the needs of other people. We pray for the needs of our own lives. In fact, here's what I want to ask you to do this morning, this week. Here's what I want to ask. Would you commit to devote yourself to pray intentionally, to pray every day this week using the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S? Would you pray every day of adoration, of confession, of thanksgiving and supplication? Listen, there's not a right way to pray. You pray however works for you. Maybe you're like me and you find a notebook or a journal works really well for you to pray in. Man, if that's you, go for that. Some of you, you'll find, I have a hard time sitting still. Maybe for you, it's going on a walk and having a prayer time with God while you walk. Pray however it works for you. But intentionally, would you commit this week intentionally to pray through the acronym A-C-T-S and see what God might do in your prayer life. In fact, to promote us as a church praying in unity, to praying together in our Restoration Family Facebook group, we're going to give you a daily prompt of a supplication that we can pray together, that we would seek and have a unity in prayer, that we'd pray for the power of God to do remarkable things in our families, in our neighborhood, in our church, in our city, in our world, that we would have this unity together, that we would pray and seek the face of God together. Would you join us this week in praying together in that unity of prayer? Restoration Church, as we devote ourselves to prayer, let's ask God to lay the burden upon our church that we wouldn't be busy with a lot of things and miss out on the power of God. Let, let's pray that God would not allow our strategies and our ideas and the experts' opinions to distract us from our dependence on God and the Holy Spirit for a true power and effectiveness and ministry in our church and in our city and in our world. In fact, as I get ready to close in prayer, before I pray, I want to do something different. I want to ask you, would you just take a minute and pray in your home? Whoever you're watching this video with, would you pray in your home with that little small group? Would you be unified in prayer with us right now? 
that here we are in the season of uncertainty and confusion and fear. And would we pray together right now that God would draw people to himself, that God would draw our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our church, our city, that God would draw people to himself, that they would know his peace, his hope, and his joy in the midst of our circumstances. Listen, I recognize this is going to be a little awkward for some of us, but this is where we're called not just to be hearers of the words, but doers of the word itself, but actually doers of the word. So I want to invite you right now, would you just take a minute, pray in your living room with whoever you are, and after here a few seconds, I'll go ahead and close in prayer. Let's, let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are an amazing God. God, I praise you that you have chosen to love us, to set your attention on us. God, I praise you that you are all-powerful. I praise you that you are the God of creation. I praise you that you have revealed yourself to us so we can know you. God, I praise you that you are sovereign and in control of our world. God, I just pray that we would recognize where power comes from. God, I pray that we would have this complete dependence upon you. That, God, we would not depend on our wisdom, not depend on our strategies, not depend on how the world tells us to live. But, God, that we would be a people who are devoted to prayer. That in all things we would seek your face, that we'd seek your presence, that we'd seek your power. God, I pray that you help us this week. Where prayer can be hard, it can be difficult, but God, I pray that you give us the ability just to make this commitment to pray every day, that we would spend that time in adoration of you. We'd spend that time in confession. We spend that God time in, in, in thanksgiving. And God, we spend that time in unity together, praying for supplication, praying for God, your power in our city and in our world, and in our church and in our families. God, I thank you so much for this challenge and pray, Lord, that you would do something in our church. But God, you would help our dependence to not be in ourselves and our wisdom. God, you'd help our dependence to be on you. That, God, we would see your power at work. That we'd see lives being changed as we continue to depend on you. But God, just as the early church prayed, God, would you make us bold? God, would you make us bold as we share your truth? God, would you perform miracles and signs and wonders, that we would see lives transformed because of your power. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the promise that you are with us and that you are working things out and even in this time. We ask this in your name. Amen.